They were shouting, Amen, Amen, which means it's true, it's true. Ezra read the book and also explained it to the people. Some stuff in the Pentateuch's kind of hard to understand. It's, it's good to know that even back then they needed a little help. They declared the day holy, celebrated the Feast of Booths, and repented of their sins. As we've been walking through this historical account of a guy named Nehemiah and the mission God sent him on to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem that had been totally destroyed for a good, good amount of time. Now, before we get into this, and in fact, if you want, you can go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 7 and just a little bit of chapter 8 this morning as well. So if you want to get there and your devices, your Bibles up. Just before we do that, let me kind of go another direction. Uh, I think I heard that the parents' night out is Saturday instead of Friday. Is that correct? Does anyone know? Friday instead of Saturday. So call you'll call uh, uh, Jared or Gene, and, and they'll uh, they've I, this is something they just want to do as a ministry. So if you're a parent of children and you just need you'll get a chance to get a night out. I think they're planning on doing it maybe once a month. And uh, so anyway, that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, you know the. I, I don't know if you've noticed, it kind of uh, slipped in here, but right before we do the offering, as part of this, as we're thinking through and praying, especially in the prayer part of our We Can Only Imagine campaign, uh, just praying about what, you know, wanting to do a, be a good steward of, of the building God has given us. It's really interesting, as we, we'll see a little briefly today, uh, you know, when, when uh, they go back to rebuild, the first thing they, if you watch that, first thing they rebuild is the temple. They that, was that, that place of worship where they could come together as a congregation and worship was such a priority. Uh, I remember even in the study of David, one of the, the grease on David's heart was that he was living in a nice place and, and uh, he, the, the temple of the Lord hadn't been built yet. And, and, uh, so so our, our heart is, this, this, is a, this is a building. It is, uh, you know, bricks and mortar and, and wood and but we we want to serve together and learn together and touch, reach out to our community. And so we just really want to be good stewards of what he's given us, which is what this whole campaign is about. And if you remember, way back when we first started, we, we talked about that the fact that there there is so much in Scripture about money, material things, and, and uh, actually more about that than almost any other subject you would look at. It's really what's just kind of remarkable, except... You find out that so much of how we view and look at those the material things or money is is such a evidence, such a window into our heart. And so each week, the, whichever uh, board member, whichever elder is uh, uh, leading the announcements, they're doing just a little bit of a, looking at a passage and doing a little bit of a hey, let's think through this whole money thing. So I don't know if you caught that, but I just wanted to make sure you took note of it as as we walk through this time together and keep praying, keep praying about what God wants us to do, what you're part of it, what God might want you to have as a part of it. And, and again, that Lunch and Learn, if you, if you have not been to one yet, if you're here today and say, hey, I can make it today, we, will, we have plenty of pizza for you. So hang around and do that. Otherwise, sign up for one of the weeks coming up. All right, so we're, so we're in this, this, this look at this period of time in history where the Jerusalem's under the leadership of Nehemiah, as, as God just just opened the door for Nehemiah to go back to, to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and, and gather the people and start rebuilding the wall. And we've been walking him through this whole process, and, and, and it has really been a couple of things probably have become evident. Number one, when God wants something to be accomplished, it gets accomplished. 
Because if, if there was ever multitudes of reasons for that wall not to get completed, uh, they ran into them. I mean, the enemies, the attacks, the, the, you know, the, the rumors, the, the gossip, uh, the in, infighting, even to the point where they had that internal conflict, uh, Nehemiah personal attacks on him as their leader, and, and just it, it goes on and on and on. And yet, uh, God allowed them, and God protected them, and they continued to move forward. And, and as you saw in that clip, they got, they got it rebuilt in, in record time. But there should be something that, and, and we talked about this a number of times, that, that is very evident to us. And that is, uh, we have a powerful, uh, persuasive, destructive enemy who's on constant attack. In fact, we'll look more of that in a moment. And, and so this morning's message uh, uh, is called uh, uh, Never Drop Your Guard. Uh, let me introduce it this way. I don't know if you ever watched or, or read the story about the horse named Seabiscuit. Remember that? Uh, famous racing horse. Seabiscuit uh, 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 was bred to be a racing horse. He came from, he was sired from uh, uh, parents that uh, both were in that racing business, a racing element. But when Seahorse was born, it was almost all immediately noticeable that he did not have the stature or the look of a racehorse. Uh, so as he, as he grew up and, and uh, developed, uh, most would have looked at him and said, you know, this is not going to work out. But his, but his trainer and then also the, his jockey, a guy named Red, uh, saw something there that nobody else did. And so they continued to work with him, even though he didn't look like he would ever be a racehorse. And and, uh, you know, it was, they would work with them. In fact, one day they were out on the track, and if you watch, you can watch the movie. You might want to go home and rent the movie today. They were out on the track, and uh, they were training, working with, with Seabiscuit, really getting mediocre results. Just nothing, nothing was saying this horse will really ever do well. But then something happened. The one day that they were out training, as they were, we were running on the track, Another jockey with another horse came out on the other side of the track, out onto the track, and he began training. And the moment uh, Seabiscuit saw that horse, something happened. Something triggered in his heart, something that the trainer thought was there all along, and all of a sudden, a new gear of speed came out of him And as he took off to catch up with that horse. And that day, they realized they were right. <clears throat> this horse could win races. And so they entered him in the, the first big race that was coming up. And, and if you remember the story, the, the race began and Red, uh, knowing Seabiscuit, held him back. Let all the horses get out in front. In fact, considerable distance out front where they were well within Seabiscuit's vision. And at just the right time when, when, he, when he knew that, uh, there, that there was enough track left for Seabiscuit to catch the other horses, but not to run out of energy before the end of the race, he let Seabiscuit go loose, and that, dog, and that horse took off. And, and, and people were kind of aghast. In fact, as they were bringing the horse in, people were making fun of it, yelling things like, you ought to be pulling a wagon or out with the, you know, uh, herding cattle. Or, so, so there's the maze, because here Seabiscuit is, he's catching all these horses, and then one by one he passes all the horses, goes past the leader, and in fact, with quite a bit of race left, if you remember, he gets well out in front. I mean, the race is, is a done deal, it looks like. He is, he is leading by, by several lengths. And in fact, to the point where, if you remember, uh, Red, the jockey, 
thinks it's a done deal, and he drops his guard. He, he loosens up on the rain, he relaxes, and, and Seabiscuit realizes that and, and figures he knows what he's doing and slows down his gait. And, and so dropping his guard uh, was the first mistake he made. Something else happened that race that uh, was discovered that only Red knew prior to that. And that is that Red was, blind, Red was blind in his right eye. So those two things together, dropping his guard and the fact that Red was blind in the right eye, they did, right eye, they didn't notice one of the horses moving up beside him on the right-hand side. And at the very last second, the race that should have been easily Seabiscuits, he, he lost. The other horse pulled ahead and he got second place. That's a great analogy for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're going to talk this morning because, you know, you, we, we've been talking about this fact that we're, we're up against this formidable enemy, this enemy that, in fact, we'll look again at a couple of scriptures we visited before, this enemy who is bent on our destruction, B- bent on, on, if you are not a follower of Christ, he is bent on making sure you never, ever make that decision, that you come up with all kinds of reasons why you don't need to, why it probably isn't true, why, you know, you can make your decision later on, and, and all kinds, anything he can do to keep you from ever walking into the, the arms of God, which God has out open for you, who, as he wants you to be his child and, and wants you to have a relationship with him. If you are a follower of Christ, then his goal, his strategy, his desire is to somehow cause you to make a decision, uh, do an action, uh, or, or just neglect your relationship with God to the point where, where you're laid aside, where you, you really can't accomplish much, where God cannot use you, cannot bless you the way he wants it. And that's always his strategy and always his goal. And, and so we're going to talk this morning because in this, what we're going to look at this, this morning I think we're going to have some, some ways that we should be on guard, the way, ways that we can protect ourselves from this enemy, uh, and, and from, in fact, enemies, as we'll see in a moment. The other side of that, that, uh, that story that I th- really fit, think fits and is a good analogy is, you know, there are things that you and I in our life are blind to. Do you realize that? We're, we're just blind to it. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're blind to what the enemy's doing. We're blind to our personal weaknesses. And, and so we got to trust God in those areas where we just don't see the danger. We just don't see that tendency that we have. And others may see it. And they may try to clue us into it. We should pay attention. Uh, but, but sometimes nobody will see it except God. And, and so there's an element of that too, where obviously when we're going against such a powerful enemy who's so much more powerful than us, so much wiser than us, We've got to rely on God. So there's a combination of both those things in, in this element. And so I want us to dig into this passage together, uh, Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 8. And, and let's start with the first verse, okay? Here's what we discovered in the first verse. The wall has been rebuilt. And remember, last week, in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the walls were rebuilt, but the gates hadn't been set in place yet. But now we find out they've been set in place. And, and not only that, not only have the, have the walls been rebuilt and, and the gates in place, but we find out they, they've started setting up normality. They've got gatekeepers, and, and even moves into they want to get back to their worship. I'm going to talk a little more about this in a moment, but what I find so cool about this is these people, it has been long, hundreds of years since they have worshipped God fully with their heart. And, and so this is all a, a, a process of 
returning, of seeking God again, of, of, of learning to desire Him in the heart. And, and they're taking these steps back. To, and, and what is so encouraging to me, and I hope encouraging to you, and is because I've had those times in my life where I have neglected that relationship to the point where I've actually reached a point where I didn't think it was that big of a deal until something happened in my life to expose what, how far I had gone. And, and I'm so encouraged by the fact that God is always there ready for us to return. And he was for these people too. And, and so part of what Nehemiah recognizes is we need to get the people's focus back on God. And so for the temple, the, the temple has already been rebuilt. They did that earlier. But now he sets up the, the, the Levites back to, to leading in worship and the singers and because that's, that's a huge priority. So they're getting back to normalcy, although there's still a lot to, to rebuild within the city itself. You know, I talked about that enemy. This is a passage of Scripture we've looked at a couple of times. And, and so just as a reminder, let me revisit it again. As, as Paul writes that our struggle, your, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now remember when we talked about this verse, what I said was the way that the Greek is, the tense is written there is, a couple of things are in mind. Number one, it's that there are a multitude of schemes. That's why it's in the, in the plurality there. But that, that Satan is always switching it up. You know, just about the time you and I think, oh, I have them figured out. Here's how he attacks me, so I'm ready. I'm safe now. Just about the time we do that, he says, hmm, all right, let's switch it up. You know, and, and so we should go into every day realizing this, you know, you never have to ask this question. In fact, we'll get into, he'll say it a little clearer, but Satan's always after you. On every day, he's after you, he's after me. So he has schemes, he's constantly changing it up. His playbook for you, his playbook for me is constantly switching. You think you figure him out here? He says, okay, good, I'll attack here. Goes on, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the forces of evil in heavenly realm. Do you hear what he's saying there? Not only is Satan our enemy, but he has cohorts with him, the fallen angels, and, and now these demons are, are all around us, and they're organized. It's not just some haphazard thing of, of you know, what should we do today? No, they are organized. They are set up in, in uh, uh, positions and, and authorities and, and generals and leaders. And, and, so, and all of those, all that power is out to get you and me on any given day. That's the reality. Peter went on, he said, be self-controlled and alert, be on your guard, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let me say this to you. You never have to wake up in the morning and say, I wonder if I'm on the menu today. Because you are. And so am I. That's the reality. And, you know, but you, so you look at that and you're saying, okay, so what, what chance do I have against such a powerful enemy, such a smart enemy uh, who, who is so deceptive and has so many strategies and so much help, what chance do I possibly have to ever come out on top in this battle? And the reality is you have all kinds of chance. You have all kinds of opportunity because you have, number one, 
God on your side, and we walked with Nehemiah and seen all the different attacks and strategies that the enemy took on him, and yet he's come out on top. So it can happen, but, it, but it, if it's going to happen, certainly, first of all, we've got to rely on God because there are those blind, things, blind sides of our life that we just, we, God is our only protection there. But he also gives us tons of evidence, tons of clear-cut commands, direction as to how to be on guard. And we're going to see some of those this morning as we walk through the rest of this passage. So let's move on. And, and before we get there, it's interesting. We missed this. We didn't get this far last week. So let me finish up chapter 6. Chapter 6 ends this way. Now, we know the wall's been rebuilt. Uh, soon the gates will be back. But here, you know, we've watched this enemy attack over and over and over, just all kinds of of ways. Uh, But even after they've got to this point, we've seen this. Here's how chapter 6 ends. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. Now, who is Tobiah? Is Tobiah a friend or an enemy of Nehemiah? Do you remember? Okay, we're starting back to Nehemiah chapter 1. Take your Bible. No. (laughs) He's enemy. He's been after him and Sabai and all these Sambalath. They've all been after Nehemiah the whole time. So we find out in that very in that verse seventeen that actually some of the nobles, the leaders of the Jew of the Jews, are in secret contact with an enemy of of Nehemiah and the people of the of Israel. There's conversation going on between them. It's going to get worse. We'll see in a moment. And, you know, we, if you remember uh, just a, a couple of messages back, there came a point where Nehemiah confronts the nobles because the nobles have been taxing to the people to the point where they're actually having to sell their land and their children to pay the taxes. It had gotten ridiculous. And, and Nehemiah confronts them, and overall, the nobles responded to his confrontation, if you remember. But what we find out here is not all of them. There are at least some of them that were pretty darn mad that uh, Nehemiah hit their pocketbook because that's exactly what happened. He said, you can't do this anymore. And, and so there are actually ones who are supposed to be on the side of the Israelites, leaders of the Jews who actually are conspiring with the enemy. But it gets worse. Let's go on. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them, passing these secret letters. For many in Judah were under oath to him. There were a number in the leadership of the Jews that had made an oath with Tobiah. In fact, we find out there's a little more to this even. Since he was a son-in-law of Shekinah, son of Era, son of Jehonanah, Jehonanah, and who had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakiah. Who is that? That is the high priest of the Jews' family. So not only are some of the nobles quietly un- behind the scenes now, it's been always in the open before, now it's behind the scenes, quietly behind the scenes, trying to undercut Nehemiah and the people of Israel. But their own high priest and his family are involved in it. 
what, what a terrible situation to be in, to, to have people that you're trusted. In fact, you go on verse 9, it says, Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds. These people kept saying to Nehemiah, Hey, you need to trust Tobiah. He's a good guy. He's really on your side. I know you've had some run-ins in the past, but, you know, really, I, I, you, that's all in bygone days. You need to let it go because he's a good guy. They're telling Nehemiah good things about Tobiah and then telling him, what I said, and then Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. So they're, they're trying to work their way into Nehemiah's confidence and then finding what information they can. It's, it's a, what a what terrible place to be in. And so in the midst of that, you see this enemy who's, who's never, ever gives up. We've seen that. Every time you think, well, well, maybe we finally reach the point where he'll say, okay, it's enough. We, you know, we've lost this battle. Let's move on. They just regroup and go at it from another direction because they're under the influence of the enemy. And, and that's what he does. So what do we do? What do we do against an enemy that is so extremely powerful and so filled with hate and so bent on our destruction? Well, here's what Nehemiah did. We're going to learn some, some really practical things here that are very important for us to get, get in our hearts and get in our minds. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hannah and I, along with Hannah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. Now, probably what's happening here, and this is what um, uh, most commentary think, is this is actually talking about the same man. Those two different names, it's the same individual he holds a, another position, and, and some people know him by this name. Some people know him by that, that, that. and so they, he, because he goes into, notice the singular at the end, because he was a man of integrity. Uh, so, so Nehemiah says, first thing is, I, I choose an individual to work with me. Now, it happens to be his brother. It's, he doesn't choose him because it's his brother. He goes on, he says, I choose him to help lead the people because Here's how the kind of individual he is. And here's where we run into, you, you want a list of, okay, what do I do? How do I fight this enemy? How do I stay on top of this and prepare? You're going you're gonna to get some really practical advice. He chose this man because, for one thing, he was a man of integrity. Let me tell you what integrity means. And you've got a perspective. He, he was faithful. He was a man, he was faithful. He was faithful to Nehemiah. He was faithful to his spouse. He was faithful to his family. He was faithful to his, his boss. He was faithful to his God. He was a man who could be trusted. And, and that's one of the ways we guard, our sense of, guard ourselves against what the enemy. Are we individuals who are faithful, who can be trusted? That word also means he was truthful. He chose a man that he knew would, would tell the truth, who wouldn't just say what he wanted to hear or, or what somebody else wanted him to hear, who, who was honest, who was truthful, who was forthright. Another thing that integrity means is righteous, a man who did the right things, a person who did the, what was right, regardless of the circumstances and the situation. So first of all, you want to know how to go to battle against such a powerful in- enemy as Satan is and, and the individuals who work with him? Be a person of, in- of integrity. 
You know, as we walked through the Ephesians 6 passage, the armor of God, that was one of the things that showed up right on the get-go. Be a person of integrity. That's such a valuable protection against the enemy. Be an individual who is trusted, who can be trusted, who does the right thing. I, I love the, the statement that floats around once in a while on social media that integrity is a, a person is a, of integrity is a person who does what's right even when no one's looking. That's, that's a pretty good definition. But he goes on. This is such a practical passage of Scripture. He was, a, he was a person of integrity, but he also was a man who feared God. And what does that mean? Is this, this kind of, uh, you know, boy, I'm scared. You know, I'm just, God's up there. He's got this huge, huge hammer. And, and uh, he's just waiting for me to step the wrong direction so he can pound it down on me. Or maybe it's lightning bolts, you know, some of those old pictures. He's going to just, just take, just, oh, okay, do that. And, and let me, and I'll throw one of these right at you. Now, it's not, that's not what is in mind. Uh, in fact, what it means there, there's a reverence for God, a, a reverential sphere. There is a heart that says, God, I don't want to do anything that is contrary to your will. I don't want, I, I, my greatest fear in life is that I might make a decision that hurts our relationship, that breaks your heart because as your child, I'm, I'm heading in a direction that you know is going to bring me harm. And, and I don't want, my, that's my fear, God. And so keep me on track. Uh, I probably share with you before. I had a conversation with my dad several years ago. And, and here's my dad, 86 years old now. He was you know, a little younger than him, but not much. And he says, Paul, my greatest fear is that after, after spending so many years faithfully serving my God, that, some, that at the end I might do something. It lays me aside. And he gets that from, from, for good reason, because in the Word of God, there are a number of individuals who, who did so well until, until they got to be older individuals, and then suddenly they made decisions that laid them aside, and God couldn't use them anymore. And, and so this is, this is the kind of man he was. His, he was, had this fear of displeasing God, of doing something that hurt his relationship with God or, or caused it so that God couldn't use him. And so... That's the kind of man. That's protection. You want to know how to, how to protect yourself against this enemy is so powerful? Be this kind of person. Be, have your greatest fear not, don't be, have your greatest fear that you're afraid of Satan. Have your greatest fear be that, oh, I do not want to ever do something that will harm my relationship with my God. In fact, Nehemiah was that kind of person. Remember, we saw this a couple weeks ago. Here's Nehemiah. This, Nehemiah says, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Remember, he did not do what the other nobles had done, other leaders. Actually, what the law said he was allowed to do, because he knew, in spite of the fact that politically it was correct, he knew before God it was not, and his reverence was for God, and he wanted to please him. And so, so here's these protections. So he goes on. I love this. He goes on, he said, he's talking about this guy. He says, because he's a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I love that. Here's why. He wasn't perfect. I love what Howard Hendricks said. God, with God, it's not perfection, it's progression. He's not saying that this, his brother was perfect, that he, that he never had a wrong thought or wrong direction. He was saying he's moving the right direction. That's where his heart is. More than most men, he had this integrity and reverence for God. Go on. Verse 3, I said to them, and this goes into further protection. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened 
until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Okay, so be a person of integrity. How do I guard against? How do I keep my guard up so that the enemy can't attack, can't destroy, can't lay me aside? I'd I, I I be a person of integrity. I'd be a person who has this reverence for God that, that protects me. And then a third one comes in here, and as he says, here, here's the instructions I gave to the gatekeepers. And let's see what we can learn from them. Whoops. He said, first of all, don't open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is out and hot. And then secondly, make sure the gates get shut while the gatekeepers are still on duty and bar them. What is he saying here? Limit your exposure to the enemy. He's saying, you know, we're not just going to leave the gates of the city open for anybody to walk in and out anytime they want to. I got to ask you, do, do some personal inventory. What kind of things in your life, what kind of things in my life have I just left the gate open for? Have I made a, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's doing it. Just a guy thing. Just a gal thing. Nehemiah says we have to be careful. So I don't want the gates open in the morning when it's still dark, when anybody can just walk through them and we can't see who they are and what they're about. So you wait till the sun is shining and, and the exposure is the brightest. So it's very clear what we're dealing with. And, and make sure those gates are closed before it gets dark, before the enemies can go in and out and, and they're locked and shut. So we're going to be really careful who we let in the gates of our city. You want to protect yourself? Be really careful what you let in the gates of your life and my life. And man, it's tough today, isn't it? Man, it's is. you know, people say, well, it's not any tougher than it ever was. I disagree. I disagree. There are so many things around us, and some of them are, I mean, you know, the thing is, most of those things can be used good or bad, but man, there's so much opportunity out there to be exposed to things that take the heart away from our God, destroy that relationship, take away our integrity, push God aside, so many things, and so he says, we're going to limit our exposure to the enemy in our protection. You jump down to the end of the chapter, and you can, you, if you want to, if you really need a good nap this afternoon, you can read the next section if you want to. Look ahead, you'll see. It's, a, it's one of those real barn burners. There you go through this list. But we jump down to the end, and he says, When in the seventh month came, the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, Nehemiah is rubbing off of them because here's what's happened is as Nehemiah has set up the, 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 the Levites back in the temple and the singers and, and, and reminding the people of God's heart for them, their hearts are pulling back to him. And, and suddenly they, as one people, say, we, we want to hear from the Word of God. And, and what's really interesting, this guy named Ezra, who is a scribe, uh, he's been writing the scriptures down this whole time. That's what that means. He's been writing all the scriptures, going through the scriptures and writing down so that he would be filled. In fact, we're going to find out more about him so that when the opportunity came, when the people were ready to 
hear from the Word of God, that He'd be ready to take them in that direction. And so here's a couple other things, because who is this guy Ezra? Ezra is the guy that God is going to use with Nehemiah to direct the people back in that relationship. Now let me pause before I finish this up, but just recognize that, again, that reminder. I don't care where you are in your life right now. I mean, I care. Don't, Don't make me wrong. I do care. But if you did a self-evaluation and if you were utterly honest with me and you would, and here's what you'd say is, Paul, God and I are really far apart right now. There is such a distance. In fact, there is such a, a, a gap between me and God that I'm not sure it could ever be recovered. I'm here to tell you you're wrong. It can always be recovered. God is always waiting for you to return. And, and these people, it has been centuries where they've had that kind of relationship, but they're going back. They're moving back. And so they go to this guy, Ezra, and let's look at Ezra because I think we find a few more things that we need to do to guard ourselves in Ezra. We find out that Ezra had devoted himself, first of all, to studying the Word of God. And, you know, that's not as a legalistic, okay, I've got to get my time in the Word this morning. That's not what we're talking about. This is, this is where we build the relationship with God, where we find out what He's about. And so our heart has to be, I want time with Him. You know, as, even as a child, I had, this is where my, the godliness, my godliness of mother, you know, as a, even as a child, especially as a teen, you know, I'd get in these, and I know you'll find this hard to believe, but i get in these funks, this grouchy, grumpy, Everybody hates me. I hate everybody. I don't want to talk to you. Get out of my room. All You know, the whole thing. And you know what my mother would almost always say when I'd get into one of those? You been spending any time with God? And you know she was right. I hated the fact that she was. But she always was because she was building into my, she was doing like, we'll see Nehemiah do in a moment. She was building into my life this perspective that you need time with God. And I'm telling you, that's part of how we guard ourselves. He studied, he observed it. Didn't just read it, didn't just memorize it, wasn't just able to quote chapter. There's lots of smart people about this book out there who have never learned how to make it part of who they are and live their life. And then he passed it on. Watch for opportunities to pass it on. Want to protect yourself? You've got an enemy. I tell you, you're on the menu today. You are on the menu. He's got a plan. He's got a plan probably for when you're driving out of this driveway, how he's going to start working because his plan is, you know, let's start with just run the day, you know, get in a really good fight with your spouse or, or, you know, with your kids or the guy that's, Cut you, whatever it might be, he, he has a plan. But further than that, his plan is destruction. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. He wants to destroy this church. We're going to have to rely on the grace of God. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. But there are all kinds of really practical things that we need to do. Be a person of integrity. Have a reverence for God. It is the thing you are most passionate about, the thing that would most break your heart is to know that you'd broke God's heart? Is that what really 
plagues you a little bit, you know, Lord, I just, as I move into this day, don't let me do anything that would make you ashamed of me. Such a fear of disappointing you, God, I don't want to do that. The current person is committed to growing spiritually, to getting to know God better, limit our exposure to the enemy. Man, that's a, that's a biggie one today. It always has been, but maybe even more so today. Make this an integral part of your life. Not so you can say you read the Bible this morning, but so you can know that you spent time with God. Pass it on. Really good list there. How did Nehemiah manage with all kinds of attacks and enemies and individuals who were bent on destroying him? How did he manage to come through all of that? And Ezra before him? There's how. That's how we'll do it too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for the fact that your word is so clear, so practical, so so much about what our life is about. You know our hearts. You know our battles. You know the world we live in. You know the enemy that we're, we're up against. And so you laid out this, this very practical set of guidelines for how to keep our guard up and protect us. And I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters that are here today because we do have an enemy. He's out to get us, but he does not have to win. Thank you for your protection, both in the unseen things that we never even know about and in the things that you've laid out for us that will help us protect ourselves. With those things in mind now, Lord, we move out into a lost world who is watching your children to see if there's anything about us that is any different, anything that points to the fact that we have somebody that they need to know. Help us to be the salt and light. I pray these things in your son's name.